Hello everyone, welcome to Point of Insanity Game Studios, Kikari in general podcast. I am Al, and today I'm joined by a friend of mine who we have not heard from in quite some time, uh, my friend James, who on YouTube goes by Demon King IX. How's right. it going, James? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, still working on my YouTube, working on a video game, life. Life is challenging. Yes, you were mentioning that um, the the latest version of RPG Maker. Mm-hmm. MV. Yeah, and we were talking about a little bit about this before, where it's a fun program to goof around with. But I did, I, I had some experience playing around with the uh, RPG Maker 2K. So obviously a much older uh, version of the game, and. It sounds like, from what you were describing, that they really simplified everything. Uh, basically, they said even a child could make something. Oh, so I should be able to catch on to it, too, huh? Yes, you should. <laughs> <laughs> no, because one of the things I remember from uh, RPG Maker 2K is you had to learn how to use switches. Because uh, we were talking before about, well, one thing that you see in a lot of RPGs are treasure chests. Mm-hmm. And... I remember when I first was goofing around with uh, RPG Maker 2K, it's like I made a test level and I had a treasure chest and I put like, I don't know, a thousand gold or something in there. And and it's like, okay, you walk up to the treasure chest, you get your thousand gold pieces, and then you could walk up and get your Mm -hmm. thousand gold pieces again, where it's like what you had to do to make sure that that chest wasn't Mm -hmm. infinitely restocking itself. It's like, okay, first you had to put put the sprite of the treasure chest on the... uh, you know, a closed treasure chest in your map, and then you had to program something where, okay, you interact with the treasure chest, and it adds this item to your inventory. It adds this amount of gold, and you had to display a message like, you found a thousand gold pieces. And then uh, you also had to make, like, let's say you called that, you know, cave chest one. Well, in order to make it so that the player couldn't keep going back and keep getting everything... You had to make a switch, like, mm-hmm. you know, cave chest one empty. So then you had to go back and program something into the chest where it's like, okay, you display the message, you find a thousand gold pieces, mm-hmm. and you add a thousand gold pieces to the character's inventory. And then, uh, you know, and then you would uh, have to make the, the sprite switch maybe from a, you know, a closed chest to an open chest. Mm-hmm. And then you had to turn on that switch, you know, cave chest one empty so that way you know the next time the player walks up to it they know that they've already got the stuff inside and you were saying they did away with that in the new one well they didn't fully do away with it they just simplified it because nowadays you can put down okay i right click the area i want to put the chest in it says uh i forget what the word was but it's like easy use items uh there's treasure in and a few others you click treasure, a chest will pop up or you decide the chest that you want to use. Uh, you put in the item you want, and then it does everything else for you. Okay. I don't. I haven't used it too much lately, so... So it, it assumes that the player is going to only go to, to that chest mm-hmm. once, so then it automatically puts like a an open chest yes. um, image, and then it automatically sets it up so that you don't have to... Uh, you don't have to, uh, you know, put another command yeah. in to, to tell the game that, okay, this treasure chest is empty, so now, 
you know, you can't keep going back mm -hmm. and getting lots of goodies again. That's correct. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, definitely have to check that out. And another thing you were telling me about Steam, we were talking about Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic before mm -hmm. we began recording, and you mentioned you've played the first one. Yep, loved it. Haven't played the second one yet. Mm -hmm. I've played both. And actually, many, many episodes ago, we actually uh, did it. I did an episode with my friend Steve about the Knights of the Old Republic series. But you told me something that I thought was totally amazing about number two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> number two. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, the 12-year-old inside me had to say that. But yep. So what did they do with, uh, with Knights 2? Well, if you go into the Steam community, there is a mod that will implement the unused work. And I always found that interesting, because I watched playthrough after playthrough of Knights of the Old Republic 2, and I kept hearing the same complaint. Why can't I go here? Why can't I go here? Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and thanks to the Steam community, thank you guys, there is now a mod that will allow you to go to those areas, like HK's little lab area that makes the counterfeit him. That's cool, because... That's one of the things I noticed when I was playing the Knights 2 for the first time, mm -hmm. is one level that comes to mind is the Nar Shaddaa uh, planet, where there's an area in one of the sections where it, it, you can see it on the, the map, as in, you know, they've got that overhead map of you that mm -hmm. shows you where stuff is. You can tell that there is something there, <laughs> but any doors that would look like they would lead there are non-functioning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could tell that they, uh, you know, they didn't have time to finish it or it just didn't make it into the final cut. Uh, and then another one you mentioned, you know, HK-47, mm -hmm. where there's this one plot thread where he keeps talking about, you know, he's bothered by the fact that there's all these counterfeits of him running around. Yep. And he was having this great moral dilemma about, okay, would, should he kill them because they're obviously inferior, but that would like be killing part of himself or yep. something like that. So this is actually relevant to the topic we decided we were going to discuss today, and that is good games and bad games. So mm -hmm. what makes a game a good game and what makes a game a bad game? And of course, we all are going to have our own opinions yeah. as to what makes something good, what makes something bad. Um, but this is just our opinion. Yeah. So you're the guest. Why don't you choose first? Do you want to talk about what makes a game a good game or what makes a game a bad game? Well, this one, I got a topic right now that's kind of a mix between the two. Tutorials. Yeah, I can see tutorials as... I don't think it necessarily is a deal breaker for a game. No, it's not. But... I, one Lights of the Old Republic, too. Mm -hmm. The thing that's so awesome about that game is, yeah, there's a tutorial, but you have the option to skip it whenever you want. That's the thing. Right there, you actually said what I was going to say, which was optional tutorials. You don't see them as much anymore. They yeah. are almost gone. Most players like them. Uh, let's go with an MMO here quick. Uh, Wildstar, a game that I've been enjoying myself. There is a tutorial that if you've done it once, you don't have to do it again. And the tutorial, they make it fun. I'm happy with that. You can actually blow stuff up. <laughs> it's a fun game. I recommend you try it. It's free okay. right now on Steam. 
Okay. And anyway, else you get it. And if the fine folks, just as a note, uh, know the uh, Steam is not sponsoring this episode. However, if the fine folks at Steam would like to sponsor the show. <laughs> anyways, go on. So, that's just one thing I enjoy about a game and not enjoy about a game. It's a stupid tutorial. A.K.A. like, uh, let's go with the old PS2 tutorials. Press X to jump. Press square to interact, press triangle to do whatever, to mm -hmm. do a kickflip or something. And press O to just open your inventory, even though that'd be start button, but either way. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of all what they go down to, and it's kind of annoying. Yeah, and again, that's where uh, Knights of the Older Public 2 mm -hmm. hit it right on the head, because if you did decide you wanted to go in through the tutorial, you could still get a couple mm -hmm. extra items. I mean, it's nothing huge, but again, for those of you who played the first one and maybe aren't interested in doing the tutorial, you're you're out yeah. able to skip it. And another game I can think that I know people did complain about it, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Oh, I where, have that game. Yeah, um, have you played it yet? Yes, or? I have for the 360 and PC. Okay, because in the I've only played it on the 360, but mm. there are sections where like. Well, for example, when you get in your first battle verse in, um, how, how do they pronounce it, you know, Adean? Yeah. When they, you're getting your first Adean battle, they, you know, they, you have the option to go through that tutorial or you can skip it. But yeah, when you can't skip a tutorial, that just gets so annoying, especially after you've already played the game. And here's something about tutorials that I've never been a big fan of when they show up. A.K.A. they cut you away from the game mm -hmm. to tell you how to do it. Instead of, like, here's how you do it, here's how you do it, here's how you do it. Like, uh, there's one game that I enjoy called Legaea 2 for the PS2. I, I high likely I spelled that wrong. Legaea, Legaea, it's something. Mm -hmm. And what it did is it gives you a brief tutorial, but it interacts with you, it interacts with you while you play. Okay. Which was lovely in my eyes. I wish I had it here now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I it's not really a tutorial, but when in early stage of a game, mm -hmm. when they give you like maybe just a little bar on the screen that gives you a command just to or tells you what pressing a certain button does. Mm. Like one game I can think of off the top of my head, um, when an EA Games made their uh, games based on the Two Towers and Fellowship of the Ring. Or no, not not Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers and Return of the King. Mm -hmm. In the first stage, they have sections where it's like, okay, press X to perform a strong attack, press A to do a medium attack, whatever. And again, it just appeared as a little box on the bottom of the screen. It didn't interrupt the action. So, I mean, I, th it, I, I don't know if you really want to consider it a tutorial or not, but I don't mind if they do something like that because mm -hmm. it's just a little, okay, do this. It's not like you're stopping the game and saying, press, you know, B to jump or whatever. Something else I like about games is when the tutorial is in the loading screen. Say, let's just say recently you died in a game. Let's go with uh, Skyrim. Mm -hmm. I know Skyrim doesn't have this, but you can die a lot in Skyrim, or there's a lot of loading screens that you have to go through. And I like it when they give tutorials in those instead of like, yeah, we're going to just bombard you at the very beginning. Well, instead it's like, hey, giants have a immunity to frost or something. 
something to help you out, or gives a little bit of lore, something. That's just something I enjoy. Yeah, and, and I haven't played Skyrim yet. The only game in the Elder Scrolls series I ever played was like uh, Morrowind, and I never really got into it because I could never figure out what the heck I was supposed to be doing. Mm, but they fixed that number. They fixed that in the latest version. That's cool. So yeah, I mean, yeah, the tutorials they can be done well and they can do, be done poorly. But uh, when we moving on beyond tutorials, when we actually start getting into playing the game itself, oh, so again, as we said, tutorials aren't always necessarily a deal breaker. But if done poorly, they can make the you know that first hour or so of gameplay really really annoying. So what are some other things that for you are make a game a bad game and let's let's start by talking about role playing games okay. a topic that's near and dear to both uh, of us i'd say the combat mechanics can be a great great pain in the butt if 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 done wrong yeah and i think when you're talking about those tabletop role playing games it's a little more forgiving because yeah. you can always make up house rules to work around something now well, that's all the one yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but yeah, if there is a, a combat mechanic that you don't like, uh, or a good example, look at some of the earlier versions of D&D where a wizard, okay, they can carry around a dagger and they can wear a robe. That's about it. You know, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a first or second edition wizard running around with a plate mail and two-handed sword and still be able to cast his fireball spell that if you want to do that, hey, that's fine. But... You know, so that's why I said, I mean, I think with tabletop games, since you do have that ability to house rule, mm -hmm. it it's a little more forgiving. Um, because my own personal opinion is, I think a good game master can still make a bad RPG enjoyable. Now, are there any mechanics that you maybe you remember from a tabletop game that you often found to be, you know, clumsy or maybe make the game less enjoyable? Nothing I can think of off the top of my head right now. Oh, hi, likely something will come up later. And yeah, I of course. Up to you, like, oh yeah, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'd have to say I know, one of the things that again is fairly easy enough to ignore. But when I the couple times I played D and D Fourth Edition, I wasn't really fond of the whole bloodied thing where it's like, okay, now I have to keep track of when I reach this point because. Maybe that means there's some abilities I can use only when I'm bloodied, or there's yeah. some that I can't use when I'm bloodied, and not that big of a deal. But it, it was a mechanic I wasn't really too fond of. Because I played uh, basic with you, I remember yes. that. I remember I played second edition, I played 3.5. 3.5, yes, I wasn't a big fan of it, and then I played Pathfinder, which is just basically the cleaner water. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed it after that. I think it was just more... In 3.5, everything was so mashed together, it wasn't a finished product, while in Pathfinder, it was cleaned off and smoothed down. Um, well, wouldn't it be a third edition, not 3.5, but just third edition that's the oh, yeah. uh, unfinished one? Or? It, I'd say it's a mixture between the two, because I've seen 3 and how broken it can be. Yeah. <laughs> that's another one of the things about third edition that I wasn't a big fan of, and I know other people are, is that... If you know how to work this system, it's extremely easy to break it. Like, here's this feat from this obscure book that no one remembers. 
and here's one from this one, and now I'm level one and do 24 points of damage. Yeah, because my friend Dan from the Radio Free <laughs> Borderlands podcast, he was mentioning he had one of those players that really knew how to work the system, mm-hmm. and... Like he had a, it's like he could you could make a group of tenth level characters fight like a group of twentieth level characters, mm-hmm. and he was putting Tanari behind you know like demons and stuff yeah. behind prismatic walls just to soften up the party before the combat. Yeah, and, uh, like he had some druid that took this feat and this feat, and then like he could turn into a Cairo. Uh, Cryohydra. Oh god, so like, no. <laughs> okay, when he turns into the Cryohydra for a round, he does like 14 d10 damage. How am I supposed to cope with that? Uh, there's a way to deal with that. Uh, make them fight a psionic. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so with role-playing games, again, a little bit more forgiving, because yeah. you can always say, okay, I don't like this rule, or the game master can always say, well, let's just use 3rd edition as an example, mm-hmm. where he might say, like, okay, if you're going to use a feat or a prestige class, it has to be from an official yeah. Wizards of the Coast supplement. I'm not going to take the one made by some, you know, by a self-published author or something. Yeah, well, with me, I'm pretty open to a lot of stuff because you've seen me DM. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. decent. I'm not the best, but <laughs> we all have a different perspectives, which goes into three categories with me, which is... The role play, the mix, and the hack and slash DMs. Yeah. So far with you, I'd say you're a mixed DM. You're a good mix. Yeah. yeah, the current campaign we're doing, it's been a bit more of the role playing and investigation as mm-hmm. opposed to run in there and, and Kill shoot everything. people. But then again, we're also playing a, modern a modern day, day urban fantasy campaign, which, yeah, I mean, you got to think of it in the modern day. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if someone. Uh, you know, in the modern day, if I'm walking down the street and someone jumps at me with a knife and demands my wallet, if mm-hmm. I end up killing him, I... You go to jail. I'm probably going to jail, whereas in a D&D fantasy setting, if a bandit jumps you and demands your treasure, you can kill him, be on your way, and you're probably not gonna... Let's be more specific. You chop off his head and eat from his blood and eat from his skull. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, the problem with society anymore, no one drinks from the... drinks blood from the skulls of their enemies anymore. Did don't no. Trump say that? <laughs> no, it was... It's some picture that's gone around uh, Facebook and stuff. But, anyways. So, if we move from tabletop role-playing games to video games. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you tend to do a bit more of the PC gaming, but you still do some console gaming. Yeah, like, I have played the 360, the PS2, the Wii, the GameCube. I've I've done a lot of that. So, when we look at video games, what are some things that, for you, make a game a bad game? Oh, my God. (laughs) Clappy-ass story. Okay. Yeah, I, I can agree. I mean, uh, I, well, I guess it depends really on the type of genre. Because with a role-playing game, since those do tend to be more story-driven, um, that's something where having a crappy story can be a real detriment. Yeah. But when you're talking about, like, a shoot 'em up game... That I don't give two crap. It's more the role-play style of a game. But say we're playing a hack-and-slash, like, um, let's, let me think of an example real quick. Devil May Cry, mm-hmm. which, wonderful games until the latest version came out, so don't play the latest version, play <laughs> one through four. <laughs> well, and, and you know, when you look at some of the old school games like, well, Gradius or Life Force, mm-hmm. both are very fun games to play, 
But plot, well, you're just, there's not really much to the plot. You're flying through space, destroying everything that you come across. So, again, in a situation like that, plot, I don't think, is going to destroy, you know, it's going to destroy a shoot-em-up game mm-hmm. like that. Uh, speaking of those types of games, Doom. That, okay. one, I, that, one, that one I didn't really get the story behind. Yeah, I've... I've only played the freeware version that was mm-hmm. going around back in the 90s, and it was okay, but first-person shooters are not really my thing Agreed. because I tend to get, I tend to get lost. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because, like, the, you know, the main plot behind Doom is you're this space marine trying to fight off uh, an invasion from hell. Cause, Demon Horde's coming up because some scientist wanted to do something with them. Yeah, it's like, I think it's like... Uh, on one of Mars's moons, I think Phobos. Yeah. They some scientists accidentally opened up a portal to hell, and that's one of the things that I mean. I don't know if you ever saw the the Doom movie with um no, you know, I with the Rock. Had. I have, and it's okay. But one of the things that I know some people really complained about the movie is that it wasn't true to the game, because in the movie the demons and the monsters that, that were running around were the result of like a scientific genetic mutation or some sort of chemical weapon. So it took out the whole, the, the spiritual portal to hell aspect. And I can see the point that they're making because, yeah, it's like I guess if you made a Batman movie where Bruce Wayne's parents didn't get killed. You know, it, it's something that, it's so core to the Batman character that trying to make a movie or a game where, you know, he grew up as a normal, happy child, it just doesn't seem to work as well. What's funny is they actually did do an episode in that one of the animated series where basically Bruce got warped into a diff- different time where his parents are still all alive, no Batman, no Joker, no one. <laughs> And he was so confused, <laughs> like, what? I was just, I was just in bed. I took out Joker again. I should have killed him by now. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that one. I mean, I know there's a there's an animated version of Flashpoint Paradox, and in that one, it does go to an alternate universe where, uh, actually, what happened is when they were mugged. Uh, Bruce was the one who got killed, mm-hmm. and his father would become the Batman-type character, and his wife went crazy and became like a Joker-type character. Mm-hmm. But getting back to, again, the video yeah. games, another thing that I think everyone can agree upon, doesn't matter what style of game, what type of game, poor play control. Oh my lord, don't get me stood. Uh Also, I'm going to pop, I'm going to tack on to that a little bit more. A game that has not been tested properly. Yep. <laughs> Sonico glitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. My it was funny when my son first played Sonico Six for the the first time. I was like, you know, they say this game is really bad, and it is. <laughs> you know, he was really into his Sonic games at that time. So I was like, you know, you play this game, you might never want to play Sonic ever again. Uh, does he still play Sonic? Yes, he does. God dang it! <laughs> Sonico glitch failed us. <laughs> Honestly. I've played Sonic uh, Secret of the Rings a little bit, and I'd have to say that one is far worse than Sonic yeah. 06. Because uh, from what little we played of Sonic Secret of the Rings, it didn't feel like a Sonic game because mm-hmm. 
you didn't really have much control of the, the character. It's more like one of those things where you were automatically running forward. Oh, so yeah. So it's kind of like a temple run type game where you didn't really have much control, at least for the few levels we played yeah. of it. It, like I said, <laughs> the, it was a terrible game. So even if you see it for like 49 cents at GameStop, just, just walk on by. You'd be better off using that 49 cents to buy something else. Like, I'm going to say this about Sonic right now. He's trying to recover from a lot of the stages he's had. And he's not getting anywhere close. Because have you seen the newest form of Sonic? Sonic Boom. No, I have not. <laughs> boom as in you'd like to take a shotgun, have someone throw it up in the air and make it go boom? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, Sonic Go Boom. Sonic... Sonic Boom, a.k.a. Uh, they made Knuckles. They completely changed him to look like this muscular idiot. Oh, yeah. So they took a lot of stereotypes that they shouldn't have taken. Well, and one of the games that I think actually did get it right for the more recent ones, Sonic Generations. Yeah. Because that one was nice because you got to play as classic Sonic and new Sonic, where the classic Sonic when you were playing through those levels, it was side-scrolling mm -hmm. like a traditional Sonic game, and then the new Sonic was, you know, that was, you know, the 3D-type Sonic, and it, it, it actually worked fairly well. So, but when you're talking about play control, one of the things I always hate, and when I talked about annoying old-school video game design trends, one of the things that comes into mind is slippery play control. Mm -hmm. Like, your character always feels like he's on ice. Yeah. Where, you know, you you walk forward a little bit, you stop pressing the direction, but you still slide for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, those games. A good example would be like in uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, which, you know, we got in the, you know, is the lost levels, but it was the real Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan where you played as Mario or Luigi, and each one had their own different play style, where Mario played like Mario in the first yeah. one, but, of course, Luigi, this is where we established that, yeah, he can jump higher, but again, he was harder to control. Yeah. So I can understand that if you're in an ice level, but when your player is like that all the time, it just gets monotonous. Oh, oh, and here's another thing about games that I hate. Companions that don't shut up. Oh, yes, when they have to stop to talk about... No, no, no. That That's worse, yeah. but not like that. What I'm meaning is... Uh, let me go with a game that I don't think you've played. Dragon's Dogma. I have not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Every time I play that game, I look at my companion, dead in the eye, shut up. Yeah, and... You know, it does remind me of this. There's a cell phone game. I've talked about it here and there. Uh, Final Fantasy Record Keeper. Yeah, you've talked about that a lot. <laughs> and, you know, when you... Some of the the stages that are based on Final Fantasy Tactics, it's like it's, the bad guy just stops in the middle of the fight to talk about something, and it's like, okay, can I please get past the dialogue so I can continue kicking your, kicking your ass and killing you? Gameson, villain monologue. <laughs> yeah, and I've never played the original Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, on, like, the P the PlayStation. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if they, they stop to talk in the middle of fights like they do in uh, in the versions in Record Keeper, 
but okay, okay so you played Final Fantasy Tactics? My dad had it. Okay, so it, it is like that where oh my God. you're halfway through the battle and all of a sudden the enemy, you know, Ramza, you are a, a milksop dingleberry and, you know, what makes you think that you have the right? Yeah, it's like, come on, just shut up and let me get back to killing you. Well, I found uh, there's only one thing I loved about that when I played the game is I was able to go get myself a snack because then I realized, crap, I've been playing for like 12 hours and it's midnight. Go get myself a snack and get going again. Yeah, it's like, Mountain okay, <laughs> the bad guy is monologuing again. I guess I can go grab a soda and take a dump, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter where it is. It, it's not even in video games. It's in TV shows and movies and yeah. so forth. Enemy well, monologue. <laughs> well, it's almost become kind of a cliche, and it is. I I think it's supposed to show just how cocky the villain is. Mm-hmm. That you know he he's so sure that he's gonna win, or that he's got the the hero in his latest yeah. death trap. You know he's so sure that you know every that the hero's gonna die, that he's gonna go on and talking and start monologuing. And, oh my lord. Uh... So, play control, uh, poor plots, t- you know, tutorials done wrong. How do you feel about music in video games? Do you think that a bad video game soundtrack can make a game, uh, can it be a total deal breaker for you, or it's, is it... It's not, because what I can do sometimes is a lot of games, which I'm happy you do, you can mute the music, because if it's a bad music bad song, or anything, it's like, mute. Yeah, exactly, because, I mean, I like good video game music, and, yeah. you know, a few episodes ago, uh, my friend Lou and I did a two-part episode about video game music, mm-hmm. and, again, not exactly a deal-breaker, but I, I just personally feel that a video game soundtrack can really enhance the gameplay, and... This actually is a nice segue to talk about things that, what makes a game a good game. Mm -hmm. And I think that a strong soundtrack can greatly improve the experience of playing the game. Mm -hmm. Like, one game that I know that had, that I can name off the top of my head, that had a really strong uh, music soundtrack, Mm -hmm. uh, Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy VI. Both examples of games where the soundtrack hits you, you know, it's it makes you feel sad when you have to feel sad. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel happy when you're supposed to feel happy, and it just perfectly captures the mood of what's happening in the game. And honestly, just about every Final Fantasy game I've ever played all had a strong soundtrack. I would agree. Another thing that I like about video games that I'm happy with is racial interaction. Okay. What do I mean by that? Well, let's let's go into Skyrim again, because in Skyrim there's a war going on between the Imperials and the Stormcloaks. The Stormcloaks are racial, uh, racist a-holes. <laughs> okay. And if you play anything besides the Nords, they actually interact with that race. If you're an elf, they're going to knock you down a few pegs. If you're an orc, cool! If you're a Nord, hail to the Nords! <laughs> so on and so forth. And that's the thing I like about games, that kind yeah. of interact with you. It kind of goes back, if you think about it, to uh, first edition D&D. Mm-hmm. There's a chart in there where they talked about you know, racial interactions, how 
you know, elves generally don't like uh, dwarves. Mm -hmm. They usually are on good terms with, you know, gnomes. They're usually on good terms with halflings. But, you know, they're kind of neutral towards humans. Everyone's neutral towards humans. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not very fond of dwarves, and they pretty much hate half-orcs. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can see how that's that's fun where they do make uh, the... Do make that, uh, you know, the NPCs, they do react differently mm-hmm. based on your character's race. Like, right now in my game, I've ha- I have, like, three races right now. Um, three, five, technically five, because I got humans, wood elf, dark elf, and high elf, and then the orcs. Some, ca- some of the NPCs will react differently to the PCs that you have, such as... If you pick up an orc during the time, they were mercenaries during the Great War of Magic in my game. And thanks to that, they don't have the brightest. Another thing that can I think can really make a game fun is when they really program uh, some interesting things into the enemy's mm-hmm. AI. Because my son, you know, we got a, a Nintendo Switch a while ago and he's been playing Breath of the Wild. And one of the things that I thought was kind of cool when I was just watching him play mm-hmm. is let's say you defeat an enemy and, you know, it drops its its weapon and its shield. Sometimes the other enemies will go, they'll pick up and use that equipment yeah. against you. So I just thought that was an interesting little challenge to the, the game where they're not just going to leave a sword lying there. They're going to go pick it up and use yeah. it against you. Which is something I hated about Skyrim because it's like, there's a dead corpse of your ally who has a sword. There's a mage right there that is close enough to that dead body. The mage can pick up the sword, because I know they're out of mana, because they're not casting anything anymore, and they don't have a staff. <laughs> yeah, and also, again, when we're talking about something that makes a game good, one of the things that really does it for me, and we just can also go back to what makes a game bad, replayability. And, because if I'm paying 40 50 60 bucks mm-hmm. for a new game... And it turns out that it has like a 10-hour story mode, and then the rest of the game is pretty much catered towards, uh, you know, online multiplayer. Let me give you an example. For Xbox 360's Transformers War for Cybertron. Not touching that game with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, it's like (laughs) the game was clearly designed with the online multiplayer in mind. You know, I the story mode... I'd have to say I completed it in about 10, 12 hours. Yeah. And then the thing is, oh, I didn't have an Xbox Gold membership, so the online portion, which was a huge part of what the draw for the game was, pretty much useless to me. Exactly, and it's like, I don't even think you could play the multiplayer offline. No. Which, I mean, come on, I mean, looking back to the Xbox, uh, one game I enjoyed there was Jedi Knight Jedi Academy, where... It had a really robust, a really fun single-player mode, mm-hmm. but it also had um, multiplayer, which you could do by yourself, you could do with your friends, or you could do it online. Yep. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And, well, again, just to keep going along with, uh, I mean, a lot of the Star Wars games I've seen actually do have really good replay value, because mm-hmm. let's look at Knights of the Old Republic again. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, what's what's sad is no one streams the game anymore, and I mm-hmm. I love watching streamers play the game because this 
a few different paths you can take through the game. Yes, and that's one of the things that is really awesome about both of the Knights of the Old Republic games. Now, when you talk about the second one, the main issue with that one is the plot felt forced. No pun intended. Um, you know, because <laughs> yeah, it's like there were some planets where once you did what you had to do there... You're not going back. Yeah, you couldn't go back to it. So if you forgot to do something, you you couldn't. Yeah, so well. But there's still some other things that were awesome in uh, Knights 2. Like, for example, okay, you could try to do a playthrough as, an, an, as a light side or dark side. Mm. Also, whether you were as a male or female. Yeah. Well, actually, let's go back. When we talk about Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 1, your options there were, okay, you could do light side, you could do dark side, mm -hmm. but... You know, you start out as one of three classes. Soldier, scout, or rogue. Yep. And then, or I think they call them scoundrels. But Scoundrel. Yeah. And then once you got to a certain point in the game, you became a Jedi. And you could choose to be a Jedi Counselor, a Jedi Guardian, or a Jedi Sentinel. And Knights 2 took that one step further because the gender of your character mm -hmm. did influence the game. If you were a male... Then you when had you, a little bit of a different party. Yeah, because when you got to a certain point, if you were a male, you gained the handmaiden mm -hmm. as one of your uh, party members. If you were female, you gained the disciple. And also, the uh, bounty hunter you got also would depend on whether you were light side or dark side. Light side, you got Mira. Mm -hmm. Dark side, you got a Wookiee Han Hanhar, I Something think his like name was. That. So again, it made you. It made it really worth your while to go and and play it as either trying to do dark side or light side. And something that I enjoyed about the second one that you couldn't really do in the first one, you could turn other people into Jedi's. Exactly. Or Sith lords or apprentices or however the heck you want to put it for the dark side. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing that was really awesome about uh, the second one is you had that influence system you were talking about, mm -hmm. where, and one of the examples that I was like. When you're on Dantooine, uh, there is a section where you come out of a cave and you're confronted by a bunch of mercenaries that are trying to take over yeah, the settlement. Yeah, I love that. Little scene to just give you the interaction. Yes. And if you have – well, the mercenaries, they give you the chance to – you can either fight them or if you agree to work with them, you can sabotage the settlement. And then They're you get interaction with one of the two followers, if you have the handmaiden, she's like, how could you if you help them? Well, if you have... Kira. What, Kira, I'm trying to remember. I was trying yeah, to Kira, I think. Something like that. She's like, now you can help. Now you have both sides on your side. Yeah. Now you can just f*** with the world. <laughs> yeah, she's like, well played. Both sides, you know, both sides are counting on you for assistance. Mm -hmm. You can now manipulate the outcome however you see fit. Where if you fight them with Brianna in the party, mm -hmm. you know, she's respectful because, you know, she's like, well, yeah, you could have, you're choosing to stand up and fight instead of, you know, cowering mm -hmm. out to them. And uh, another one of the characters in there, Bo Durr, mm -hmm. you know, he respects acts of mercy. Mm -hmm. So if you do something cruel when he's around, he's not happy with it. But yeah, you do, you show acts of mercy and compassion, mm -hmm. you gain influence. And not only does that uh, open up new dialogue, but yeah, with some of the characters, you can turn them into Jedi or Sith yep. based on how well you've manipulated them. 
Like, if you're an evil and you have the handmaiden with you, you can turn her into a Jedi, and then everyone from a little cult, it's, it's literally a cult, yeah. will be like, we don't sense our sister anymore. Yeah. She has fallen. <laughs> so, and... <laughs> Another thing that really does that for me really makes it worth playing a game is multiple endings. Because mm-hmm. again, it adds to that replay value. And one game that stands out for me is Chrono Trigger. There are, I think, like ten different endings for that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chrono Trigger in itself is an awesome game. Have you ever played it? Or no, I haven't. I'm just thinking of a different game right now that did that horribly. Okay, well, what was that game? Shadow the Hedgehog. Okay, I haven't played that one yet. Don't. Because, <laughs> let me put it simply, what it does... Uh, okay, so A, you can help like the Sonic team, or B, you can help like Eggman and the other people. Occasionally you help Eggman, it's in the good side, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Or you can help the black creatures, which makes Sonic sound more racist than it should be. Yeah. It's hilarious. That, that's, that's kind of the only upside to that game. It makes Sonic seem more racist than he is. We're not saying... Ra- okay, we're not saying racist, racism is hilarious. No, no. No, We're not no, saying that. So. No, no, no. It's just funny the way they put it. Racism is bad. But anyways. So, what happens with that is... At the very... What, your choices indicate what boss you fight. And... I've done a completely neutral one, I've done an all-good one, I've done an all-bad one, and what, it, I just didn't do it right, with, with multiple endings. Yeah. Because it never felt complete with that type of game, so I'd say that can be a breaker, or that can be a helpful. Yeah. If done right. <laughs> yeah, and again, going back to Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, you know, each one had the light side ending and the dark side ending. Now, with the first one, the light side ending and the dark side ending are significantly different from each other. Yeah. But in Knights 2, not, no. there's not much difference between the two. Like, I think in 2, if you help all the counselors that kind of kicked you out, they try to remove your force power somehow, and yeah. then Kira just kills all of them like yeah. that. <laughs> While if you just kill them all, it's just straight up to a fight to Kira. Yeah. That's all it is. Which, by the way, uh, I think that means death. <laughs> well, no, that... Because I, I forgot what happens when... Because I know if you killed the counselors, when you meet Kira up again at Dantooine, she says something to you and, like, kicks your butt, and then you gotta go to Malachor 4 to fight her. Yeah. But yeah, the ending beyond that isn't much different. But another... When you talk about games that have good ending and bad endings... Another game that really did it right was uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. There are eight points in the game where your actions in that event will uh, will have an influence on the ending. Mm-hmm. And as I said, I really love the game because after you f- finish the, the game, the Watcher says to you, you know, your, your actions have had consequences that you couldn't have anticipated. And then it shows you what happened, you know, based on your interactions with mm-hmm. these eight key points. For example, early in the game, you are on this, like, shield mobile base. And you go into this one room, there's a bunch of big brute guys that are trying to destroy some computers. Well, if you manage to stop them, at the end of the game, you find out that those computers contained research on the legacy virus 
which is a virus that was intended to kill off mutants. Mm -hmm. So since you saved that research, they were able to develop a vaccine that would save a lot of mutant lives. However, if you fail to dis to stop them from destroying the computer, then it says that you know uh, the watcher says oh, it's unfortunate you didn't you know you didn't uh, save that information because now the legacy virus is going to kill a lot of mutants mm -hmm. and it shows like a graveyard and there's tombstones for like Wolverine yeah. and Cyclops and Professor X and um, another example is there's a part in the game where uh, you are uh, encountering Namor, the Submariner, and you have the the choice to either save him or not save him. And if you save him, then you know he becomes part of a a council of superheroes, which mm -hmm. in the Marvel universe they're called the Illuminati. Uh, <laughs> nothing to do with the conspiracy theory <laughs> Illuminati, but I don't understand why that even exists nowadays. But yeah, essentially in Marvel Universe, the Illuminati is made up of Reed Richards, Professor X, Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, Namor, and I think one of the Inhumans. Mm -hmm. And they're more like a loose alliance where yeah. they share information with each other. But if you save Namor, he becomes part of this group and you know his, he yeah. helps save the world many times over. Whereas if you don't save him, it like causes a war with Atlantis because it falls into... Um, you know, chaos. So yeah. that's one of the things I liked. Your actions have direct mm -hmm. consequences on the ending, and it, there's eight different situations where it can occur. Mm -hmm. Which I would agree with that. That is a fun, fun little thing that games can have. Like, um, uh, uh, let me give an example quick of the game that I'm making. Uh, there is a part of my game at the very beginning where there's a thing called the Water Heart. It produces all the clean water in the world, and if taken by the bandits, water becomes short, and the bandits kind of take over all of that, and flora and fauna kind of start dying away slowly. Mm -hmm. But you can protect the water heart, and you become its new guardian. Okay. Which, the flora and fauna still start working properly, everything's still fine. There's no drought or anything coming up, as well as you have its original guardian with you in the party. But if you help the bandits... Everything starts dying. You lose your mate and partner. Okay. It goes down to hell. <laughs> yeah. And, so, yeah, I think we both can agree that replayability mm. is something that really makes a game a good game. Yep. And now, what about when we talk about tabletop role-playing games? What, for you, makes a tabletop role-playing game just <laughs> awesome? The DM. The DM. The okay. DM is the main thing because a DM can make a good game seem great, or bad, or a good game seem like the worst thing in your mind. So when we're talking about the actual game itself, though, uh, yeah. what are some things that in uh, the actual game that can make or break it for you? Well, one, this is also from a DM perspective as well. Modules. Occasionally, you can get a good module, or you can get a bad module. Okay. Because right now, one I'm having to DM myself as well as play is uh, is a Pathfinder one, Iron Gods, where basically it's more tech-based, so on mm -hmm. and so forth. It's an interesting one. I enjoy it. Because what it gives is more of a futuristic feel to it and makes it feel like your interactions do impact the world. Because right now, we're at the base, we're still at the very beginning, where... 
this torch, this blue, not blue, purple flaming torch, is a piece of machinery that helps out with the world. But so I would say, good player working, DM, as well as functional development. Yes, a, a good strong rule set definitely can make or break a game, and. I mean, I like games where they do give you a, a lot of options with mm -hmm. your characters. Granted, I think sometimes it can get a little overdone. I, I mean, just to go back to 3rd edition, I did like the feats mm -hmm. because they gave you some ways to really customize your character. Now, I know there's, yeah, you take, yeah, I know you're kind of giving me that iffy look. It's like, yeah, I know some feats can be considered broken or if you go by uh, the gamers too, I love this scene. They're getting in their first combat, and you had the female gamer who was talking about how, um, you know, she took improved initiative, and one of the other players was like, no, no it takes, takes improved initiative. Yes, and then it's like, she ends up, you know, uh, acting before everyone else, and she ends up killing like three or four goblins before anyone else can do anything, and so yeah, I mean, that's something that I, I think makes a game when they do have a lot of character customization options where you can still make a really fun character to play even if you don't have the greatest stats. Yep. It, don't worry about me real quick. Right now I'm just looking up one little thing just to make this life a little bit more fun. That's not what I'm looking for. There it is! Oh yes, the ballista, yes. The uh, <laughs> backstabbing with a ballista. You can't backstab with a ballista! Doesn't it say doesn't. you can't! Exactly. Um... But when you're talking about modules, one thing that always makes a great module is when it's got that balance between role-playing mm -hmm. and combat. I, for several years, I would run RPGA events at Gen Con when, back in the days when it was in Milwaukee. And one of the things I liked about those adventures I ran is, okay, they were meant to be played in about three, three and a half hours. Yeah. Because, you know, you were divided into four-hour slots. Mm-hmm. But these modules were usually well-written where there was usually two, in, two or three encounters that involved combat. There would usually be another one or two encounters that were based more on problem-solving mm -hmm. or investigation. And then there would usually be one or two encounters that were purely designed to be role-playing. So, they, like I said, they had some really good adventures back then. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that one. Back to replay value real quick. There was there's a series, there's two series that I'm actually very happy with that they did very well with both with them. Uh, replayable with with replayability. Thank you. <laughs> Tongue, you just got wet. No talk. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dragon Age. Have you played those games? I have not. Okay. Well, Dragon Age One, okay, Origins, Inquisition. Well, let me put them in order. Dragon Age Origins, number two in Inquisition. Number one, Origins. Oh my god. There are like, I can't remember. There's the human, which can be human noble or human mage. There's the elves, which you can be the Dalish, which is like the wild free-roaming elves, or the Hathian, a.k.a. the city Half elves. elves or, okay, city elves, okay. City elves. Or you can play the dwarf. A... You can play a noble, which is completely different from the human noble, which I find interesting. Or you can play a commoner thief, which is so interesting to me, because when you play each one, it interacts with you differently. 
if you play an elf throughout the game, people will treat you differently. Say, let's go at the very beginning. You go through the Grey Warden campsite. One of your guy, one of the smiths, says, hey, where's my armor, so on and so forth, because slaves, not slaves, house elves exist, which help out with, hey, take this here, take this here, so on and so forth. But if you play a dwarf, he's like, great smith work, boy. I'm a Grey Warden, bitch. <laughs> if you're a human, he's like, hi. Most generic thing ever. It's so interesting, as well as classes. If you play a mage, anyone who respects mages will respect you more. But if you go to a Templar, they're gonna be more like. We're watching. Yeah, he's. You can't see it, but James is doing the thing where it's like you point your fingers at the eyes and then point your fingers at someone else, like watching ya. Because the coding for it is magic should be controlled and should not control you. And it's just more like, okay. Number two did it more, you can, you, you can only play it one time, and then it's like, okay, it exists. Yeah. Because if you play a mage, you get most of the impact. Mm-hmm. But in number three, which I haven't touched yet, I've already seen some interesting things, because you can play a race that you could not play in Origins or number two, which is a Kunari. <laughs> Oh my god, I love the Kunati. Yeah, I've, I haven't played either one, so I have no idea what, what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I'll it, show you sometime. <laughs> yeah, they, they could be, um, you know, bipedal walking uh, bunny rabbits, for all I know. Close. Oxman. Oh, okay. Well, I think we're going to call this episode to a yeah. close. So, uh, James, if someone wants to see some of the videos that you made, where can they go? If you go onto YouTube and look up Demon King I X D O M O N, because people like to spell my name wrong, D E A M O N. Demon King, King not Damon King. Yes. <laughs> so Demon King I X, I am on Twitch. I am on YouTube. I haven't streamed lately, so maybe not so much Twitch. <laughs> but either way, thank you. Yep, and while you're on YouTube, of course, Point of Insanity Game Studio, we have our channel there, and, and don't forget to stop by our site here, poigamestudio.podbean.com, where not only can you catch episodes of Geekery in general, but some of our other shows like Whose Podcast Is It Anyway, Want to Hear Something Interesting, and Musically Challenged, and any other random piece of junk I decide to put up there, so... <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining us, everyone, and have a good morning or evening or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. See you next time. If there will be a next time. There might be. We might, there might not be a next time. That's true. Still be for growing. all you know, there could be a huge doomsday asteroid hurtling <laughs> towards Earth that's going to strike our p- suddenly vulnerable-looking planet in the next three seconds. That's true. Ah! Hey, what's that bright dot in the... You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.